and welcome to the August 2009 edition of the Ordinary Means Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here today with Matt Bowling. Hi, Sean. There you are. A little slow on the uptake today, sorry. I'm only halfway through my second cup of coffee. It's in the 90s today uh, in Seattle, which is extraordinarily rare, and um, we're all just a little lethargic and moving as slow as possible. Yes, I've got the air conditioning running here in Pennsylvania. I hope it's not showing up on the podcast. I don't hear the air conditioning, but I do covet it. (laughs) Oh, you covet. (laughs) Covet the air conditioning. We don't believe in air conditioning in Seattle because it only gets in the 90s one week of the year. So if I was to ask you to name the Ten Commandments, you'd leave out the tenth? (laughs) At least pertaining to your air conditioner in your office. Yes. Immediately after this podcast, I'm going home and getting an extra fan that's just sitting around right now. It's probably a good idea. Well, to, today, uh, this month, um, I guess today, we're going to talk about it today. You can listen to it all month long. It'll be up on the website, ordinarymeans.com or uh, ordinarymeans.wordpress.com. Uh, both places you can find us. Uh, it's the same thing. And uh, this month, we are going to talk about Uh, Cultural outreach. Uh, Does an ordinary means ministry mean that you're not allowed to do anything but the ordinary means? Uh, Does an ordinary means ministry mean that all a church can do is preach the word and serve the sacraments and pray together and that's it? Um, Or does an ordinary means ministry, because of our dependence on the Word and the sacraments and prayer and all of these coming together, our dependence on Christ and His Gospel, does an ordinary means ministry demand that we do outreach within the culture in which God has placed us? So that's the question before us this month. And uh, Matt, I'm going to let you start off. You've got some great ideas about this. Well, I think that one of the things, and we, we, we're kicking this around a little bit, Sean, before we got on the air here, but one of the things that I think can happen with Reformed churches that are of an ordinary means perspective is that we can take the regulative principle of worship and we apply it broadly to the ministry of a church. We can sort of end up in a spot, and some some ordinary means churches end up here, uh, where uh, if if we don't see uh, a direct example of it in the Bible, um, then we don't do it. Um, and, of course, that's the, the regular principle of worship says that we offer to God in worship that which he's commanded or which we're able to easily see flows out of his commands. Um, and that's what we do in worship. We sing the Bible, we read the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we preach the Bible. So, in other What's words, that? cultural outreach is not opposed to the regulative mean the regulative principle of worship. Absolutely not, because we're not talking about doing stuff inside of the worship service um, that God hasn't commanded. But some people, I think, sort of silently, have sort of treated ordinary means as a regulative principle of ministry, and what they've basically said is, well, we don't see things like. Vacation Bible school or women's Bible studies uh, or small groups uh, of any sort um, in um, in the Bible. 
And so since we had to do the kind of ministry that the Bible tells us to do, we don't see an example of it, then we basically loosely could call this the regular principle of ministry. We're not going to do it. Um, and instead, we're going to sort of retreat, if you will, into um, we're faithfully doing the, the ordinary means. There's um, a and to me, that's, that's quite mistaken. Yeah, uh, be- yeah, because it's it, we're looking at something that is a more of a middle road. What, yeah. you, what you've just just described, Matt, is uh, two extremes. One is the church that, because of the ordinary means, does nothing. And then uh, I think many of our listeners have a church that's the other end that's entirely programmatic, right? Um, with no emphasis necessarily on the ordinary means. And what we're looking at is a middle road that says here is a healthy ordinary means ministry that also has a healthy outreach ministry. And what does that well, look like? And, and an outreach ministry that actually, in the character of it, uh, certainly can't be uh, characterized by the sacraments, but can very much be characterized by small p preaching and ought to be characterized by both corporate and private prayer. Um, and, and I would say that this is quite similar to uh, we have a, a, a quite vibrant um, community group ministry in our church. But the point of the community group ministry is not to provide a great feel-good time for people. It's to provide a venue where that ordinary means of the word um, with an elder present discussing things that have been taught by an ordained man are discussed and applied and prayed about so that people's lives might be transformed under the word by prayer by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so I guess one of the distortions that I see in the church is that if if we believe in ordinary means, then all we do basically is Sunday. And any other, what we might call programmatic elements, is actually violating the spirit of an ordinary means ministry. Um, but I'm not sure that that's even what we've ventured in this podcast over the years that we've been doing this, that ordinary means is something that's broader than simply a public ministry. It's where's our reliance? Sean, you keep saying our dependence, and I think that's right. Um, do we do uh, our community groups, and do we go, wow, um, although the demographers say if you don't make six friends in six months, and so our community groups are to help you make those six friends in six months. Probably a good observation that if you don't make six friends in six months, when you go into a church, you're not going to stay. But our community groups aren't there, so you'll make six friends in six months. That might be a side effect, but they're there because we know that people need to be under the word and they need to pray together if they're going to grow in Christ. They need to be under the ordinary means. Uh, and our outreach philosophy, I think, also has to embody that, that we have a philosophy of outreach uh, is important. Um, I think that when we look, it would be easy for some people with a distorted view of the ordinary means to look at Paul uh, in Athens, something I'm with great joy looking forward to preaching beginning in the middle of August and say, oh, that was an ordinary means ministry. We shouldn't do that. Which to me is hmm. completely wrong. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, even if it's even if what Paul does is not prescriptive, if it's only descriptive, it's descriptive of the ministry of an ordained servant and inspired, or at least when he wrote, servant of God. 
Well, descriptive of a man who said he was willing to become all things to all people, that by all means he might save some. You know, that's an offensive statement to some people, to some Christians. It is. It is. We've recently run into, in our church, a bit of a controversy as to how do we approach cultural issues. I just preached on the cultural mandate. Um, I probably should have done it in retrospect a whole lot earlier, um, that we ought to be concerned about broader cultural issues as believers, because we're all embedded in a culture. It's inevitable um, that we're either a part of it or not a part of it. And it's inevitable that we can either see the longings and dreams and hopes and aspirations that people have embodied in the cultural forms they're producing and apply the gospel to their hopes and fears and dreams and aspirations. Or we, like Paul did in Athens, I'm capsulizing. I realize I'm being, that's very condensed. Um, but that's basically what Paul does, is he looks at their cultural forms and he says, you know, there's some hints here of something else. Let me tell you about the something else. And he brings in the entire storyline of the scriptures. Now, that to me strikes me as something that's very much an ordinary means perspective. We know from what Paul says in Corinthians that he did not and purposefully chose not, though he probably could have, to have adopted uh, the rhetorical style of the day. He did not come to them with eloquent words. Hmm. He came to them with a foolish message. He came to them with the ordinary means. But he came at giving them the ordinary means from uh, a cultural hook. And that's, that's my passion, is that we learn to do what Paul did in Athens in our own day, out there, not just in here, not just with inside the confines of a church service, but that we find ways to bring the ordinary means to people um, where they are meeting. And we bring them to bear out there, and our hope is not in how flashy or how eloquent we are or how good we can lead a discussion or how snappy and wonderful we can make a VBS. But our confidence is in the prayer we gave ahead of time and in the storyline of the Bible that we bring to bear in that outreach. Now, we're calling outreach, we're using the term uh, cultural outreach. Uh, maybe we should talk about a little bit why we're choosing those words, because I think those words have been chosen carefully. Uh, we could have said evangelism, which is clearly a, a biblical word, uh, mm -hmm. which describes what Christians do when they reach out. Um, we're talking about cultural outreach. You want to say something about why we're using those terms? Yeah, I, I think that what we find in Jesus particularly as he sits down with the woman at the well, and Paul, especially in Athens, but really all over where he is in his ministry, um, even though we look at Paul as we go through Acts, I'm preaching through Acts, Sean recently preached through Acts, um, wonderful book if you're a young preacher trying to, to bring an ordinary means perspective and sort of this intentional outreach perspective to a church. Wonderful book to read because it'll force you to preach stuff and to wrestle with stuff that you never would have before. The seminary would never force you to wrestle through the number of things you have to when you preach through Acts just to account in your, in your philosophy of ministry for the way the early church operated, uh, for what they expected, for how they went about what they did. Um, 
it's fascinating and good good work for a preacher to have to preach through Acts. But when we look in Acts at Paul going into the synagogue, not simply out of the conviction that it was first for the Jew and then for the Greek, certainly that was part of it. Why did he go to the synagogue? Strategically, he went there because there were people who were more likely to have already bought into part of the aspects of the Christian worldview. And they needed the part of the Christian worldview that comes in and says, Jesus is the Messiah. And so he went there strategically to some people who already had part of the truth and understood it. There are people like that in our culture. Where are they? Who are they? What are the ways that we can sort of tap into it? The number two pastor here in our church, Edward Coe, and I were talking about this this morning. Um, Do you call him that? Do you refer to him as number two? (laughs) Um, I've started to call him that because we recently changed his title, but his title is quite long, as is mine. He's a pastor for equipping and mission. But that's kind of hard to fit into it. Thing number one and thing number two? Thing number one and thing number two. So they work great for cards, and they're great philosophically to tell you where you are, and they work nice in a bulletin. But in a sentence, it's kind of hard to get out. The pastor for equipping and mission. Um, I think that one of the things that that we're running into more in Seattle than we expect, certainly than I expected, is a fair number of people that that we've come to call de-churched. So one of the gals that my wife spends time with grew up Seventh-day Adventist has sort of been floating occasionally to a Unitarian church nearby, and we were like, oh, wow. And then just came to my wife yesterday and says, you know, I, I think I'm really going to join BSF because I'd really like to just go someplace and study the Bible. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. How many so – uh, and this is a label, a and, and I think it's a helpful label – how many de-churched – people are out there. Now, describe de-church. You're saying someone who is... Someone with a church background, but burnt. And there were a lot of these in Pennsylvania when I ministered there, Sean. When we, near to the end of when we left, we found a number of people that had grown up, younger people. We were the old ones in this group. Hmm. Um, but a number of younger people who had grown up Catholic, wanted to raise their kids in some kind of... Um, Christian faith, but not Catholic. Hmm. And we had just sort of begun to broke in, break into sort of this group near to the end of uh, when we were leaving Pennsylvania. And now we're finding a number of people like that here. One of the things that um, that Edward and I were talking about this morning, the pastor for equipping and mission here at our church at Hillcrest, is maybe doing something like the prodigal God advertised at the local Barnes & Noble as a discussion. He's a Tim Keller's a best-selling author. Um, but pitch it to the community and the blogs and in however we would advertise it. Pitch it as, you know, um, did you grow up Christian, but you're kind of bitter about it, but you're missing um, rootedness in the faith? Hmm. You know, and be able to come at them with the ordinary means, with very clear gospel preaching, which is what Prodigal God is by Tim Keller. Very clear. And come at it at, from an ordinary means perspective, but do it in a way where we've really taken into account where people are culturally and what their experience has been. That's what I mean by cultural outreach. That's what this whole end around was, is to say when we look at cultural outreach, what we're doing is precisely what Paul did when he went into Athens. That He said, now where are these people and what's the angle I can take with the ordinary means with them? 
using a phrase that Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't use this phrase, but it's a phrase that describes Jesus' ministry. Uh, when Jesus ministered, he went to people where they were at. Uh, it would be like, similar. Like, it would be similar to a, a pastor coming in to uh, Pennsylvania and saying, "I could care less about the Steelers. Yeah. I'm just here to do ministry, only to your own demise. Only to your own, exactly, <laughs> particularly in Pittsburgh. Um, right. But it's we're, we're saying the same thing: is look, look around at where God, in His great and marvelous providence, has placed you." And ask yourself the question, where are these people at? Right. And how can we meet them there with the ordinary means? Right, right. How can we introduce them into the power of salvation? Mm. Great, great point. Now, Matt, you and I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 you were going to go right where I was going to go, so go for it. Okay, well, you, you and I were going to give some examples... Uh, particularly, you and I have one particular example each that we were going to give of how to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I thought before we get there, I, I'd throw out some ideas and we'll say, is this is this ordinary means cultural outreach? Mm. Okay. Yoga classes. <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, a lot of churches doing it. Um Dr. Peter Jones, whom I highly recommend to L5 people that listen to us. Um, we've posted uh, – can I get to do a promo here real quick, Sean? Yeah, go ahead. Um, we just had Dr. Peter Jones, who is a mentor of mine. I work with him in his ministry, Truth Exchange. We just had him at our church for a conference. It may well be in God's providence that having Dr. Jones here, who was a late scratch, he was a late addition for this conference – um, may have been one of the providential turning points for our church in terms of understanding culturally where people are. All of those talks that Dr. Jones did uh, are on uh, our sermon audio page. You just go to sermon audio, search for Dr. Peter Jones or search for Hillcrest Presbyterian Church. And um, there's four talks, a question and answer, and then a sermon by Dr. Jones. Each of the four talks in the description has a link to a PDF um, stored elsewhere that will give you all the PowerPoint slides so that you can listen along to the audio and take notes next to the PowerPoint slides that Dr. Jones is teaching from. One of the points that Dr. Jones made in the conference was he he, um, quoted a statistic that was unbelievable, which is according to the Department of Labor, one in five women is training to be a yoga instructor in America. One in five women is training to be a yoga instructor in America. Is Do you have most of those women in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, there are a fair number of them. Fair number of them. Fascinating. So every fifth, it is. fifth oh, woman I meet ways. is we a yoga instructor. We can go a long ways on that. On that. But uh, <laughs> is yoga one of those things? I would say no. Because is it an interest of the community? Okay, now here's where we're, we're going to start making some distinctions. Is it is yoga an interest to the community? You bet. So if we were thinking, um, you know, how could we attract people to the church? How could we attract them into the building? Um, yoga might be one of those things. But um, can is it possible for a Christian to use yoga in a way that doesn't involve bad spirituality? Possibly with a huge, great deal of discernment, with the understanding that the prime reason yoga is invented is to get you in touch with the oneness of everything yeah 
So the worldview behind the whole reason yoga was invented is antithetical to the Christian faith. Okay, so that so br- it, that brought up some of those uh, some of the, some of the difficult questions that might be raised when somebody comes to you in your church and they say, "Hey, I'd love to start a yoga ministry. Can I do this?" Right. Uh, you're going to be saying, "Okay, well, let's ask some questions." Right. Um, and perhaps the first question, Matt, that you brought up there is the question of, is this something that that connects with our community? Right. Is this something that is a value to our community? It may be that in your community what you need to do because yoga is so – because you have three – because three out of five women in your area are yoga <laughs> instructors, it may be that in your area what you need to do is have something that gets together and, and maybe – preaches against the dangers of yoga and and maybe god is calling for a revival in your area because so many have been taken in by the by a a counter spirituality right let's let's try another one certainly true in seattle by the way certainly (laughs) certainly Um, true in seattle let's try another one uh youth ministry yeah good question um we we um you know, there are some of the older folks in our church who can remember the the glory days of this church, and they attribute those glory days to the having of a youth pastor uh, in the church. And so I'll still get that occasionally from people. Um, among the leadership, it's it's uh, uh, an inside joke. Because uh, there probably was a time uh, when if you had a vibrant youth ministry that people in a church culture – um, would view that as a viable place to send their children, and if their children were having a good time, that they might consider in a churched culture, um, you know, affiliating with your church because their kids were benefiting from the youth group. There probably was a time when that was true. Strategically, I don't think that's this time. Most of the time, at least where I minister, churches are viewed with suspicion. Uh, it's not the place that people naturally go to and say, that's the place I want my kids to learn values. Here, that means, oh, you're the narrow ones, and I want my kid to be broad and tolerant and inclusive. And so uh, the last thing I would do is send my kid to a church function. So it's, um, it's possible it's the, so, so strategically, that makes no sense where I live in Seattle. Um, that might still fly in Pennsylvania because it's more of a church culture. Um, But in terms of overall having a youth ministry in a church, um, I think it could work well, not necessarily as an outreach strategy, certainly not in Seattle as an outreach strategy, Um, but as a a ministry that could come alongside in the training of covenant kids, I think it can be exceptional. My brother-in-law works for a large church, works part-time for a large church in Post Falls, Idaho. And he's been influential in this large church beefing up the ministry they do with their kids. He's working on a curriculum where I think this fall, if his plans are still in place, they're going to teach the Westminster Shorter Catechism to this kid, to the kids in the youth ministry, the middle school youth ministry of this large uh, evangelical megachurch. Wow. Um, and the kids there are thriving in their faith under the Lordship of Christ uh, as they come alongside and assist the parents 
in the covenant nurture of their kids. And they take that very seriously. They have meetings with the parents. They send worksheets home with the kids for the parents to work on from every meeting of the youth. And so they've styled it in such a way that it doesn't violate the covenantal headship principle of the father or the covenantal nature of the family, but rather reinforces it and is an adjunct to it. So can a youth ministry and a youth minister be an ordinary means ministry? Sure. Can it be a a goofball fun place? (laughs) It can be that too. It all depends on the ministry and, and the youth minister. And maybe this takes us back to something that I, I don't think we've said. I know you and I said this off the air before we began, is that we're talking about a ministry that is bathed, what, what I would say, call bathed in the ordinary means. Mm-hmm. And what you've just given, the two examples you've just given are excellent because they provide uh, the, the two sides of a youth ministry, you know, you and I were both involved with an organization that aimed at youth for the purpose of reaching the parents. Mm -hmm. And at one time, that was very, very popular in American culture, was to reach the youth for the sake of uh, reaching the parents. And at a certain time, it actually did work. It did work. It absolutely worked. Yes. You could send kids home, they would preach to their parents, and... They and and parents were converted. I, I right. saw it. Um, uh, some of my own uh, adult family members were converted through the preaching of children in the household. Right. So so that's not a, um, a that is something that has worked. But do we want to do something simply because it worked? Do we want to do something simply because that's what we've always done, or do we want to do something because? We've carefully examined our culture. We've cared about our culture. Mm-hmm. And in a careful, I'm, two words there, not one, in a careful, right. F-U-L-L, um, examination of our culture, we've discovered here is an area that we can help, mm-hmm. that we can bring the love of Christ, that we can bring... Um, the Word of God to bear through, like, like you said before, small p preaching, that we can bring the Word of God uh, to bear as we, as we pray for these people and with these people. And, and I would include the sacraments in that in the sacraments, God has increased our faith. And so in outreach, what do we do? But we step out in faith, mm-hmm. trusting that the Lord is going to use our weakness the foolishness of our small p preaching mm-hmm. to, to, see, to save some. Well put, because I think that God aims, as the, the Heidelberg Catechism talks about, he aims, in this, especially in the Lord's Supper, to convince us, I love you. You're forgiven. You're accepted. I couldn't love you anymore. I gave up my whole son. I gave up my son for you. Won't you believe you're forgiven and accepted, and won't you go tell others about it? Because it, I can't remember who says this, but if we get the gospel, we can't but give it away. We have to, because it, it animates us. When we've come under the sway of the ordinary means, we can't but then go give them away because it, they have, uh, they've given us God again. And uh, <laughs> no one in the scriptures who gets God walks away unchanged. Amen. Amen. Well, Matt, you and I both have an example 
of a an outreach that has been very, very popular through the ages. But both you and I, uh, completely separately, you and I didn't discuss this, but both your church and our church have completely reinvented the wheel uh, when it comes to VBS, mm-hmm. uh, Vacation Bible School, if, if you haven't uh, heard of that. But it's summer right now. And there are plenty of VBSs going on as I drive down the street. Every church has a big, uh, has a big canvas sign out saying, come to our VBS, here's the dates. And people in the community supposedly, you know, they send their kids to VBS here one week, there the next week, and a third church the third week. Um, it's, it's sort of the ministry of we'll get your kids out of, out of your hair, give them a little bit of spirituality, and, uh, and you can go shopping. Uh, I think that's the the classic idea behind VBS. Maybe that's a little bit um, of a stereotype. No, that's our experience. <laughs> that's our experience too, even in Seattle. So you and I have both uh, had to rethink VBS. We've looked at our VBS, and I think uh, many churches have done this, where they look at their VBS and they say, "This is just our kids," mm-hmm. and uh, this is not an outreach. This is simply an opportunity for um, our church to have an, yet another ministry to our own children, which, it, which is all well and good, except mm-hmm. that the thing that we found was it was exhausting the resources of our small church. Mm-hmm. Everybody yep. in our church would come together for this week-long event, and we would put all of this effort and all of this work into it, and at the end of it, we were exhausted. Mm-hmm. And what had we done but what we were already doing through the ordinary means, through family worship, through um, relationships, we, we weren't actually helping. And it definitely right. wasn't an outreach. And so we, we completely re- revised it. Um, what we did is we looked at it and we said, well, if it's just our kids who are going to come to this, do we want to do it at all? Mm. And, and the answer came back, well, yes. We want, we want to do something in the summer. Our, all of our kids love it. All of our kids say, I, I know when we first brought up the idea of changing VBS, some of my own kids said, uh, Duh, we've got to do VBS. I love VBS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a time for them to be with friends. It's a time right. of, of fellowship for them. And so I reassured my children, don't worry, we're still doing it. It's just going to have a different name. It's going to look a little bit different. And um, what we ended up with was something that we uh, – it took about three years for us to nail down what it was we were doing uh, to get a name and a tagline. And what we did this year was something called Good Samaritan Adventure Camp. Hmm. You know, it sounds like a VBS, right? And in many ways, it was just like a VBS. But what we did is with each day that the kids would come, there'd be, there'd be a Bible lesson, there'd be songs – but then each day we would take the kids, put them in vans, and take them to a local, uh, a local outreach ministry. So the tagline for Good Samaritan Adventure Camp was this, connecting kids with Christ and the local community. And so the first day we took the kids down to a local farm and our kids gleaned. They gleaned the old biblical thing. Old biblical thing. Ruth did it. You can do it too. And so the, obviously the Bible lesson that day was on gleaning. And the mm. kids went and they gleaned from a local farm. And all that they gleaned, they gleaned something like 300 and some odd uh, 
ears of corn and, you know, five dozen broccoli. And they, they did all of this. And then what they did was then the food was donated to uh, a local uh, homeless shelter, Washington City Mission. And some of the kids took the food with them. The next day, the older kids went to Jubilee Soup Kitchen in Pittsburgh and served mm. food, mm. the very food that they had helped uh, to pick. And while they were doing that, the younger kids stayed, and the younger kids packed boxes for Operation Christmas Child. Mm. And, then, uh, and then the next day, uh, our kids went and they sang and served lunch at uh, Hawthorne Woods Assisted Living. Uh, an assisted living care center near us that we hold a uh, church service at regularly. So mm. what what Good Samaritan Adventure Camp essentially does is instead of just getting the biblical knowledge into our kids, which was part of it, it also said to our kids, there is more out there. There are people out there that need God's love. Mm. There are people out there who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it gives our children an opportunity under uh, under our care to to begin to get a taste for the joy of outreach, and which, and it, which it, is which is great because I think that one of the things that can happen, my observation, one of the things that can happen when kids grow up in church, and when they have youth pastors. And they have parents that want them to have lots of opportunities, uh, which I'm all for. Um, you know, my kids play sports, and I'm installing a pool for them this afternoon. And, you know, is the kids who are well provided for in the prosperous America that we live in grow up without being told, but by catching that life's actually about me? Because all of life is focused on them. Their parents are focused on them. The church is focused on them. The school is focused on them. They, they get the impression silently, without ever being told, life is about me. It's not about God or others. And so silently, we end up teaching our kids to disobey <laughs> the two ways that Jesus summarizes all of what faithful Christian discipleship looks like, which is to love God perfectly and to love others completely. Um, and so I think that what's insightful about this is that it trains our kids to do something entirely different and to think about life entirely differently. It trains them to think like, wow, I'm, I'm a missionary right here. And that I'm very much for. Well, it seems, Matt, that both uh, what we're doing here at our church and what you're doing at your church are both – um, while they are cultural outreach, in many ways they are antithetical to our culture. What you just said, you know, is reminding us that uh, what what we're doing in, in encouraging our children to serve goes very much against a, a selfish individualistic culture. Now, it could be argued that a postmodern culture is very service oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were talking about this earlier today. Uh, that, that often our churches operate on a model of um, uh, believe, bring people to faith, uh, join our community, and then serve. In fact, what are the what's the tagline to your church? Yeah, so our church's tagline is worship God, live in community, serve our world. And that's that's pretty standard. 
I think so. It's a it's a way of you know illustrating the at least three biblical emphases that we want to bring out and that that you can use to evaluate what we do in our church and you know things like that. That gives something that we're shooting for at least instead of just sort of saying we're a biblical church. We were also talking about the fact though that Jesus often began with the third. Yeah. He, he began with service. Yeah. And then from service moved in to faith and then on to community. Well, and you see that in the early church too. Uh, you know, the reputation that the early church had is is varied. I've got a book that's on my way that's been recommended to me called The Rise of Christianity and maybe we'll talk about this more another time after I've read the book Rodney Starks, the author of that. But um one of the things that the early church was known for, you, you get these different quotes from pagans, but one of the things was um they care for their poor and ours too. Mm. And, yeah. and it's a lament. The, the early church was known for um, taking those who'd been left out on the wall to die, the exposed children, and and um, and bringing them in and caring for them. Uh, and of course, you get a modern day version of that in the support of pro-life causes um, by individual believers and um, in the adoption by individual believers uh, of children who are unwanted by others or stuck in the foster care system, things like that. Um, but I think that um, part of the, the, the trickiness with this is uh, Jesus was known, when you read Luke 24, uh, and he's on the road to Emmaus, the disciples described their experience with Jesus as though he was powerful in word and deed. Um, and, and I've taken that as a, as something that indicates if this is what Jesus was about, this is what his body ought to be about, the body of believers, that we ought to be powerful in word and deed. And I think that fits well um, what the church has thought over time. Uh, it's what, what we're finding, interestingly enough, uh, among postmoderns um, in Seattle – and we have some friends here in a local church that, that do this, is that many times because of the service orientation, because of the only this worldly view, this is all we've got. We've got to make the best of it. Sometimes um, we're finding here people are willing to serve alongside of you, even if they're not believers. I'm not saying serve alongside by preaching the gospel or something like that. But um, if uh, some folks from the church want to help with a Habitat for Humanity house, uh, building one, and they invite an unbeliever to go with them. Uh, could it be that sometimes, and some of our friends here are finding this, that an unbeliever goes and does a service project uh, with some of our folks, and they find out, wow, these Christians aren't really so crazy after all. This is a pretty neat group of people. Maybe I should think about their God. Maybe I should think about Christianity, because they're not so weird after all. And so maybe the, the inverse could also happen, uh, and does it seem happen sometimes here, where people um, come and serve with us in a non-gospel ministry, a community service kind of thing, um, and they experience our community. And that experience with our community uh, makes them wonder, and we have the opportunity to bring those ordinary means to bear in terms of the storyline of the Bible and the gospel uh, in their lives. So that cultural outreach is really just being powerful indeed. No. Uh, no, it can't be. Uh, if we're only powerful indeed, and of course this is the great error of the emergent. No, no but the that, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm saying it's, that's the, that's, 
if if our services are powerful in word. Yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. Cultural outreach um, is powerful. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that our outreach be devoid of the word. Um, right. And you're right. The the emerging church is, in fact, uh, an an example of being powerful in deed and not being powerful in word. Right. And uh, historically, the Reformed Church has been powerful in word, but not powerful in deed. Yes. Um, and I think that what we see in the scriptures and in the rise of Christianity is they were both. Um, and that's more what I think I'm striving for, it, it, trying to figure out is an ordinary means ministry that encompasses both. Where sometimes the being powerful indeed provides the opportunity, the venue, the relationship to be powerful in word. Matt, you know what one of the greatest examples of this is, is uh, a fellow who's having his 500th anniversary. Mm. Uh, John Calvin. John Calvin? Yes, is known for being a man who was powerful in word and in deed. Uh, Geneva was an amazing, amazing ministry in which the ministry of the word and the ministry of deed were both happening continually. Mm-hmm. And I think we would do uh, do well to remember that, um, that while many Reformed churches today are powerful in word, not as powerful in deed, um, that's not where we came from. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is perhaps simply that we've had cultural shifts, and we need to look and say, how can we uh, have the kind of outreach that a man like Calvin did in our culture? Because we don't have um, French refugees fleeing into our cities. Right. So we're not going to have the same type of ministry uh, that John Calvin did. But who is fleeing to your city? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, or who is fleeing from your city? Uh, right. What's going on in your city? That's the question that you need to ask. Now, now, Matt, your VBS, right. you sought to uh, address an area that you saw uh, that was both interesting and lacking in uh, in your community. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, this church has a historic, um, long history of excellent music. Um, many years, we actually got snowed out in this, but last year um, we were <laughs> prepared to do, but got snowed out of our 20th year of doing um, a Lessons and Carols choral presentation that's well known in the community uh, and was you know, just recognized as excellent. Um, so this church has a long history of, of excellence uh, in classical uh, liturgical music, uh, sacred music. And so um, one of the things that we found culturally is that there are – the musical education, at least for public school students, is not very high, especially in terms of voice, in terms of singing. We have all these people that can sing. And so we looked at that as a possible intersection point where there may be kids and parents that would like to learn how to sing some because they're not getting that somewhere else without paying privately for lessons or paying to be a part of a a musical group. Um, And so we looked at that and we we developed the idea that we're actually implementing this week um, called God's Gift of Music, which is a a two-day music workshop for kids. And so basically over two days, we're going to try and teach the kids a little bit um, how to sing, which is intriguing. 
Uh, and it's a great idea. We have no idea how it's going to go, how many people God's going to bring, how we'll do something that's brand new for us. I covet your three years into this, Sean, because you've got a better idea where you're going than we are, because this is our first whack at trying to do something um, that's sort of uh, retuned culturally. Um, but that's the idea, and basically what we're going to do is we're going to spend a couple of days with some intense time of teaching kids about the, the nature of music, uh, learning to hear yourself, learning to follow someone else, the different voices. Um, we're going to teach them, I think we're going to teach them, I'm not on the musical side of this, but um, some rounds so they get used to singing with somebody else but not the same thing that somebody else is singing. Uh, and also we're hoping um, – for them to be able to, div- to learn over two days uh, a short but substantive uh, two-part harmony piece so that when their parents come hear them sing it, um, they can say, my kid learned something this week. This is great. And the kids can look back on it and say, I learned something this week. As well, it's God's gift of music. And so we have some people in our church that are excellent with puppets and writing scripts for the puppets to sing to. And so we're teaching over four um, puppet shows. Um, why do we sing? Um, why don't we sing? Uh, how can we sing again? And won't you sing again? Conceptually, that's the idea of the four shows. That we're made to sing because we're we're image bearers, made by God, created by Him. We don't sing because uh, the world's broken and we're broken because of sin. We can sing again because we've got a Redeemer, Jesus, not just a Creator, but also a Redeemer. And that this is what he calls us to. He calls us to a life of singing. Uh, we're inviting the parents to come before our service before our service on Sunday to hear the kids sing their song and inviting them to stay for the service. And I'm going to, in the service, um, preach from Revelation 4 and 5 uh, on why we sing uh, and, and who we sing to and why we have a reason to sing. Um, and so that's, that's the package, if you will. Um, I call that culturally relevant and ordinary means oriented absolutely it it provides a, a point of connection uh, provides a an opportunity uh, now have you had VBSs in the past at your church we have um, our church is 60 years old so there's a lot of history here but um, well I guess yours is 50 years old John so you've got a lot yeah. of history in yours too but I think that um, there have been, at various points, VBSs, at least the latest iteration, for about the last five years or so. Okay. And this and is... We, we retuned, by the way, because we were having the same difficulty uh, that, that you were, Sean, which is that uh, our own kids were coming, which was great. Um, we were getting uh, some from other churches, um, kind of hopping between VBSs. Um, as you talked about, and then a few from the community. But what we found is that the few from the community, um, several of them came from uh, a daytime daycare where uh, the parents were working and the daycare person looked at it as a good opportunity to, you know, kind of enrich what they were doing during the day. Oh, interesting. Very, very few. um, What we found is that it was not an intriguing way for people who might be looking for a church or might be interested in Christianity, um, it wasn't a good first contact for um, helping us find those people and minister to them. Hmm. Uh, and that's why we why we redid it because we we're looking at it going. It's a it's an, a whole lot of work, and it's not having the effect that we want, which is to make disciples. That's what we've been called to. And so let's retune and see if there's perhaps a better way to use. 
uh, a summer children's outreach um, that might result in disciples being made here. That's great. Have we? I think we've answered the question. Does the ordinary means? Does an ordinary means ministry mean you do nothing but the ordinary means? Right. And I think the answer is no. On Sunday, particularly. On, on, yeah, certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, does an ordinary means ministry demand that you do cultural outreach? Absolutely, because this is uh, the world in which God has placed us, in which. Uh, we remain. Um, I'm struck that the uh, the reason there are two comings of Christ, mm. his first advent and his second advent, the first and second coming, is the patience of God. Absolutely. To give us time to make those disciples, yep. to, to baptize the nations. And so um, these are just, we've offered in the course of, of the last uh, 45 minutes just a, just a couple uh, examples of, uh, I would love it if folks would post to the blog, post some of the examples of some of the things you're doing. Uh, give folks ideas. Let's let's share uh, some of the ways that uh, your church has uh, has provided uh, cultural outreach, uh, maybe good and bad. Uh, but let's uh, let's look for those in the comments. I would encourage you to go and, and add those to the list, and uh, let's have some interaction there on the blog. Uh, but until next time, thank you for joining us for the podcast. Uh, for Matt Bowling and Sean Nolan, uh, may the Lord rich, richly bless you as you continue to pursue Him through His ordinary means. Mm-hmm.